hello and happy, happy, happy Halloween to each and every one of you little spooky goblins. I cannot thank you enough for all the support so far. Seeing that small growth each and every week while becoming somewhat comfortable telling people close to me about this small hobby of mine, it honestly keeps me motivated to write and record these episodes each week. After almost two visits a week for the past three or four months to Starbucks, which I am not proud of, I finally figured out my perfect order. Large blonde roast with vanilla sweet cream. And I know that must sound super duper simple, but I thought I was a much sweeter iced coffee person. I needed to dial that back and keep it warm. Voila. And I promise I'm only there that often because I do most, if not all of my writing there for some reason. And I believe I've mentioned this before, but I truly cannot concentrate at home. It has all of the wrong distractions like silence and a bed and my bong. I prefer the hustle and bustle of people on the move, fresh ground coffee smells, and maybe a random siren off in the distance. Those are my kind of distractions. Anyways, as I do, I sat there with my legs crossed like a man and sipped my coffee, staring out the window at the beautiful, fiery red and orange leaves falling from the branches above. And I thought to myself, let's bring it all the way home for today's story. Last week and in the very near future, I will be going back overseas and I might even stay there for a while. Uh, I know I haven't mentioned this in a while, but besides the US, Germany, and Canada, there is also a large handful of listeners from the Netherlands, Hong Kong, India, Sweden, and Jersey. And Jersey. I know I will have a blast researching many of those stories from many of those places. And to be completely honest with you, I had to look up specifically where Jersey was. I know. I'm sorry. I'm terrible. And wow, if I had to guess, I would have been embarrassingly wrong. So apparently, Jersey is technically one of the Channel Islands just south of England. And it's honestly much closer to France, if you look at a map. Quote, Jersey and the other Channel Islands represent the last remnants of medieval Normandy that held sway in both France and England. These islands were the only British soil occupied by German troops in World War II. The Balawick or Bailiwick of Jersey is a British crown dependency, which means that it is not part of the UK, but is rather a self-governing possession of the British crown. However, the UK government is constitutionally responsible for its defense and international representation. End quote. Huh. The more you know. Sorry, I'm getting sidetracked. Enough about geography and me. I want to know what y'all are going as for Halloween. Especially all of the international listeners, or whatever your equal or compatible version of Halloween may be in your home country. I didn't dress up last year at all, and I feel like I missed out on the spirit. So I just want to go full board this year. And normally I'm gung-ho about dressing up, which essentially just means painting my full body from head to toe. One year I was the color blue, hair and all, just blue. 
but my all-time favorite is when I painted myself to look like a panda. Hands down, all-time favorite costume. The only issue is it gets a bit chilly at times. And this year, I'm flirting with the idea of the Jolly Green Giant, which checks off my only requirement of body paint. So, could be fun. I don't know. I do, however, know for a fact that most of you listening will do a much more elegant job than I, and I would love to hear about your ideas. A couple of my bartender friends from down the road absolutely crushed it as the Shining Twins earlier this weekend, and I just would love to see more of that. One last sidebar real quick. I would really love any and all feedback on the new background slash logo. I think the person that I asked did a really, really nice job on it. Simple, sinister, and a cup of joe. Perfect. But like I said, if you have any thoughts, I would thoroughly appreciate that feedback. On that note, let's say you and I talk about some real Halloween horror. My name is Eli, and this is Murder in the Morning. My sources today come from Wikipedia, again, Murderpedia, IndieDropIn.com, and True Crime New England. Oh, and somehow, CIA.gov. I think that was in reference to the Jersey article. A mere 30 miles away from where I currently live and am recording this comes a story about a man from Springfield, Vermont, who murdered multiple young girls during the late 70s and the early 80s. On August 28, 1979, Sherry Nastasia's parents reported their daughter missing. She had last been seen outside of her home in Springfield, Vermont, getting getting into a dark green Pontiac Firebird with an unknown male. Having only a partial description of the vehicle, investigators knew that this wouldn't be easy. And as the days turned into weeks, and those weeks turned into months, nothing turned up until December of that year. A truck driver pulling into a rest stop near Rockingham, Vermont, which is about 7 to 10 miles away from Springfield, he noticed a partially decomposed body protruding from a snowbank. Investigators sent this body to the office of Dr. McQuillan, where it was positively identified through dental records as Sherry Nastasia. During the initial autopsy, it was undetermined what the precise cause of death had been. Multiple bones, including her ribs and legs, had been broken, and evidence of strangulation was found, as well as multiple stab wounds, and those stab wounds would end up as the official cause of death. Even after finding Sherry's remains almost four months later, this discovery did nothing to help investigators. Her case would remain cold for the next two or three years. And as grief turned into frustration, the unimaginable happened. Another young girl went missing. Quote, In August of 1981, almost two years to the day of Sherry's abduction, 12-year-old Teresa Fenton went missing. Teresa, (laughs) Teresa, Teresa had asked her parents if she could go on a bike ride, and her parents agreed on a route that she could take and what time she needed to be home. When she did not return, her parents and neighbors began searching for her. Teresa's bike was located when it caught the beam of a flashlight, but Teresa was nowhere to be found. Twenty hours after the search began, and five miles from home, Teresa was found by a man 
who had taken his children fishing. They had heard her moaning coming from the woods. End quote. Teresa was rushed to the Mary Hitchcock Memorial Hospital, only a mile away from where I'm writing this, where unfortunately she succumbed to her wounds. Her autopsy concluded that she had been beaten severely with a blunt instrument and left to die under some brush out in those woods. Again, with no evidence other than the bodies and no explanation for the press, investigators turned to the public for help. They pleaded at everyone's heartstrings, hoping for the faint possibility that the killer may find himself brimming with so much guilt he turns himself in. That's literally what they said they were hoping for. That is a long shot. And as you could have guessed, it didn't work. And again, for two long years, both investigations into these murders stalled. Whoever kidnapped and killed these girls was hiding either extremely well or simply in plain sight. Then, in April of 1983, the killer flexed his ambitious side. Quote, On April 9, 1983, 11-year-old Katie Richards and her friend Rachel Zietz, also 11, were walking down Pedden Hill Road in Springfield, Vermont, when they noticed the same car had passed them for the third time. Eventually, this driver stopped and asked the girls for directions to the house of Joe Cernaglia. But then he got out of the car and threatened to kill them if they did not get in. Richards went inside the car while Rachel ran towards the home of some neighbors who quickly called the police. Rachel described the man as being in his 20s, about six foot tall, slim with short brown hair, wore sunglasses, and a distinct red hooded sweatshirt with the number 1983 written on one sleeve, and possibly drove a light blue Pontiac Sunbird with a dark blue roof. The following day, Richard's partially undressed body was found in a forested area near Springfield, showing signs of sexual assault and injuries from a blunt instrument. End quote. As awful as this rape, murder, and second attempted murder was, it finally gave the police something tangible to work with. After four plus years of st struggling to scrape evidence together, they finally caught a break. They now have a direct witness a description of the man, and a second reference to a dark blue-green Pontiac of some sort. Immediately a, set, uh, immediately, a sketch of the suspect is quickly compiled and officers are sent out to interview other potential witnesses. It just so happened that a member of the local church named James, he had spotted the two girls on Pedden Hill Road the same day he had ran into a friend and fellow churchgoer, Gary Schaefer. Gary had left church early that day due to an alleged illness. James had been nice enough to provide the officers with a photo of this Gary Schaefer, and when compared to the suspect's sketch, the similarities stuck out like a sore thumb. Immediately, investigators went to the home of Gary Schaefer's mother, whom he lived with, to interrogate the man. Initially, he denied any and all involvement in the kidnapping and the murder of the girl. But after questioning his mother and a co-worker, police were certain that Gary was lying and arrested him that day. While searching the house for additional evidence, investigators uncovered the exact red sweatshirt described by Rachel with 1983 written on one sleeve. They knew they had their man for the murder of Katie Richards. Before we go any further, who is 
Gary Schaefer, and where did this, I assume, ugly man come from? Quote, Gary Lee Schaefer was born in 1951 in Allentown, Pennsylvania. One of several children born to Edwin and June Schaefer, sometime during his childhood, the entire family moved to Springfield, Vermont, where they joined a closely knit Christian congregation based in the city. From a young age, Schaefer was considered an overly quiet, yet very friendly and reliable child, who consistently did what he was told without any objections. While studying at Springfield High, he took part in the school's track and field teams where it was said that he showed a lot of athletic potential. After graduating, Schaefer enlisted in the Navy, where he served from April 1975 to 1981, being stationed at naval stations in the Great Lakes, Orlando, Bethesda, Maryland, 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 Newport, Rhode Island, and Norfolk, Virginia. Later on, it would be revealed that he was court-martialed for setting fire to his apartment, for which he served a 13th-month sentence at a military facility in Norfolk. Then, he married his wife Arlene while working at a hospital in Massachusetts. Together, they had a daughter and a young son. What the fuck? Together, they had a daughter and a son. Unfortunately, the son passed away from SIDS. Arlene and Schaefer's living daughter later left him and moved to Charleston, South Carolina. Upon his return to Springfield, Schaefer got a job as a mechanic, where he was described as a good employee who never created trouble. In addition, he was also an active member of the church, working as a custodian and sometimes even giving sermons on the Bible to younger churchgoers. Andy took care of his mother after his father passed away from cancer on April 10th in 1982. Accounts from friends and families report that his favorite hobby, outside of church duty, was to cruise around in his car playing sticks songs. Despite these positive qualities, Schaefer was still considered a loner, was divorced, and still lived in the family farmhouse. End quote. Apart from the one fire setting incident, it appears as if Gary had a relatively normal come up. Relatively normal. Um, they mentioned church a lot in that article. I don't think church is a, I won't say a good or bad sign, but it tends to lean towards the negative in these stories. Anywho, it didn't seem like he had a super fucked up childhood, and it almost makes these crimes that much more unbelievable. Okay. Here's where it gets a bit confusing. As Gary is being held for the Katie Richards murder trial, he also comes under investigation for a separate crime. Schaefer happened to be the main suspect in the kidnapping and attempted rape of 17-year-old Deanna Buxton. In November of 1982, she had been picked up by a man offering a ride. Once inside, this person pulled a shotgun on the girl and proceeded to make sexual advances. Luckily, the kidnapper was not very smart that day, and when stopping to buy beer at a convenience store, Deanna made her escape and reported the incident to the police. Before the murder trial of Katie Richards begins, Gary is sentenced to 15 to 20 years for these crimes against Deanna. And then, on December 5th of 1983, Gary Schaefer Gary pleaded no contest to the murder of Katie Richards and was sentenced to 30 years to life, with the possibility of parole in 2005. 
somehow. Okay, but what about the other girls that we talked about previously? Whatever happened with Sherry Nastasia and Teresa Fenton? I have bad news, and I have bad news. Let's start with the bad, bad. When Teresa's mother and investigators visited Gary in prison to discuss the Fenton case, it was reported that he confessed to both of them, her mother and to investigators. But, as part of a deal for pleading no contest, Gary could not be charged in connection to Teresa Fenton's murder. Why? I honestly can't tell you. But it sucks. It truly, truly sucks. And now we come to Sherry's ending. Quote, On May 7th, 1984, Schaefer was finally charged with Sherry's murder. With Justice Ellison proceeding over the trial, Schaefer pleaded not guilty to the murder, with his lawyer alleging that his naval records showed that he was not in Springfield on the day of the murder. At one point, Detective Michael LeClaire of Windsor County, Windsor County Attorney's Office claimed that the Springfield police had botched the original investigations and offered to interview Schaefer anew in relation to the, to the Sherry case, which was denied. Eventually, the murder charges against Schaefer were dropped altogether, as a judge ruled that his confession was obtained illegitimately. And as of December 2021, the Sherry Nastasia murder officially remains unsolved. End quote. Truly, truly, truly frustrating. Just very disheartening. How can investigators have three bodies, one living witness, and only end up charging him with one count of murder and one count of rape? The fuck-ups were real throughout this investigation. I mean, if I'm this frustrated, I can only imagine how horrified the families were when they heard this news that he couldn't be convicted after a confession. Or after he was convicted, they dropped the charges. As for Shithead Schaefer himself, he died in prison in 1995 after serving less time than some pot dealers. These bastards always tend to die so soon after their convictions. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. I just know that if I ever got sentenced to life, I would live to like 120. Alas, a terrible story today, but another terrible man gone from the face of this earth. And that is all I have for you today, folks. As always, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Could not do it without you guys. And I will see you on Tuesday. Oh, actually, this could be exciting news. It is for me. Um, I'm going to have a few people on the podcast coming up. Woo! Oh, well, doesn't matter. Okay, I will see you on Tuesday. Bye-bye. Love you. Okay, if you're still here, hello, you sexy little cup of hot chocolate. Unless I'm related to you, then just hello. If you have the time or patience today, I would honestly greatly appreciate if you left a rating or review on Apple or Spotify, really anywhere. It would mean the world to me. Um, Sorry to bug you again. I promise that's it. Okay. Have a good day, my special buddy. Bye-bye.